Did you know that Christ and the church are connected? You can't have one without the other. There was a song in, the, in 1955 that some of you might know, some of you, that says, love and marriage, love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. I think that's also true with Christ and the church. You can't have one without the other. Sometimes people, you may have heard in the past, some people would say that I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. Recently, some have said, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. How silly, how, how so wrong. That's so far and so contradictory to what the scriptures teach about the church and the head being connected. Do you know a body should be connected to a head or else it would not be good? So they go together or else you have spiritual decapitation. And so it is false, it is wrong, it is so contradictory to teach one without the other. Jesus is the head, he's superior. The church is subject to the head. And so yes, we need to proclaim Jesus as preeminent. He is the top, he's, he is everything. And yet, you can't teach everything about Jesus without teaching what he's connected to, what he bought, what he loved, what his plan was. So you, you need both. These are not inseparable things. These are not things that you can take and pull apart and do so with justice to Christ. If you do so, then you undermine what Jesus loved and what he purchased and what he bought. They both need to be taught. For example, go to Ephesians 1. I want to really appreciate what a brother said in the first lesson this morning. We were thinking very similarly and so when we look at Ephesians and look at the theme throughout and what Paul said about Christ and the church throughout the, the letter to the Ephesians, I want, I want you to see that when he mentioned all these spiritual blessings, the, the spiritual blessings of being adopted, being redeemed as we sang about, being accepted, being together, being uh, bought by the, by the blood of Christ, having that inheritance, having the, the seal and the down payment of the Spirit, all of those are found in Christ. Forgiveness is found in Christ. Redemption, all of these things. But notice in verse 10 that they are gathered together in one, all things in Christ. Where are they gathered together in Christ? Who is that? that is to be gathered together. That would be the people that he has saved, the people that he has gathered together. And notice that when he talked about those spiritual blessings and he prayed for the people that they come together, notice that he said in verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
The church is his body. Jesus' body is the church. You and I are the church. We need to see what a blessing that is to be part of him and part of each other. And so when we speak of the church, we ought not speak of that hand or speak of that foot in a disparaging way. And we ought not speak of the church as they and them, but as us if we are a part of it. And see the treasure and the blessing that we are the church. Those others that are involved in the church are not just lone people out here. They're not just those people. We need to see us all as joined together in that functioning, living organism. And notice how the, else it's described. As the, not only as the body of Christ, but as the fullness. Did you, did you notice that in verse 23 of Ephesians 1? The fullness of him that filleth all in all. If we're going to think about everything that we can have in Christ and everything that he wants, and I'm not sure I even understand all of what is meant there by that phrase, the fullness of him. But I, I believe there's a, a lot in that that he's feeling all things. He's feeling the, the glory. When I think about the temple of the Old Testament, when they dedicated it, after everything was complete, all of this work that went into that, where everyone contributed, everyone gave, and they gave too much actually. That's a good principle, where they all gave, and they gave to, to, to this. That represented the dwelling place of God. The place where God met with man. And where the sacrifices were made, and at that dedication of the temple, for the very first time, do you know what took place? And it talks about how the glory of God filled the temple. And the smoke was so thick and great that it was hard to see and look at. When I think about it, imagine if we were there, how would that have made us feel if we could have experienced that feeling, but yet we have something greater. The church is said to be the, the dwelling place of God. When I think about that, the, the Old Testament temple was a physical building, and I, and I recognize when Solomon built that building that it had to be something magnificent. David said that. Not just anybody could build it. David had the mind to build it. He wanted to build it. But God said, you can't build it. Your son can. But David still understood. A lot of preparation needs to go into this. It needs to be the best. It needs to be for God. It needs to be exceeding magnificent. It is God's house. And so he, he thought of it as a very special thing. And when Solomon actually completed that and he made this prayer 
about that. And he spoke about the temple as it is as special as they tried to make it. It doesn't mean that this box, it, no matter how uh, special the gold was and all the craftsmanship and all of the artistry and all of the effort that went into it, he said even the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. So it wasn't meant to like box God in. God is so much greater than the house. I get that. We need to understand that. We need to appreciate that, that God is greater than the house. If that's true, then Jesus is greater than the house. Yes, he's supreme. Yes, he's head. But the house is a part of him. The house is where he dwells, in a way. And, he, and no, he, he, he can't be contained in a physical place made with hands, but the church is, is said to be among us. We are the church. We are the tabernacle, the temple of God. And each of us are like living stones in that tabernacle. In the past, we weren't a part of that as, as, as Gentiles. But in chapter 2, he talks about that being in that body, being brought together in one, not separated any longer like Jews and Gentiles, but brought together into the household of God, fellow citizens together. But then in verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Thinking about how we are together and how we're growing together as Abe talked about. How that we are, we are, the, are where the Lord dwells. God gets to dwell. Or we, I said that backwards. <laughs> We get to have God dwelling among us. This is an amazing principle. It's like a taste of heaven. Because what is it that we're longing for when we think of heaven? It's to be where we can dwell with God forever. But God is dwelling among us. Why did Jesus come to the earth? To come and dwell among us. But we get to experience a, in a sense, a way in a, that we're going to get to have that. What, what do we talk about when we say we're singing together and it's like a taste of heaven? So when I think about the church coming together to worship, it should not be something that I dread. It should not be something that I am turned off by. It's not should not be something that should be considered by me as... This tedious thing that uh, I have to do it. I have to get up today and, and have to go. It ought to be something that I get to. I ought to say, as the psalmist said, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I ought to say, as David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's what he longed to be. There were times, I'm certain, when he was dwelling in caves and pits in some ditch somewhere and he was away from his bed, that rather than thinking of being back in his bed, he was thinking, I want to be in the temple. I want to be there. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. That's what he was longing for because he wanted to be near God and be near his people. But here's the thing. Can I be near God without being 
with his people. Sometimes people will have these sayings and they don't know what they're talking about when they say, my porch is my church or the lake is my church or this mountain is my church. I got the dogs and the birds and that's my church. You can worship God on your porch. You can worship God on the lake and in a mountain. You can worship God in those places. But if you are neglecting being with God's people, you are not following God's pattern and what he is teaching. And Jesus did not die for that lake. He did not die for the fish in the lake. He didn't die for the birds. You are of much more value than the birds. And the Lord died and purchased his church. And that's why I want to be a part of it. And if, if, if Jesus loved the church so much that he would spill his blood and give his life for the church, may I have more of that kind of love in me for the very same thing that Jesus loved and that he cared for. And so, no, I should not speak disparagingly against the Lord's bride. I should not speak of the Lord's wife in such a way that is such a negative term. We don't do that with other men's wives. Or those would, that would be very insulting. I don't want to insult the Lord. And I don't want to insult what he loved if he loved it so much. If you think that you can be a part of God's plan without doing and being a part and, active, and playing an active role in whatever that is of what the Lord cared so much about, then you've missed his design for you. There is an accountability in the body and in the church. There's an oversight that is there. There is a teamwork that is there and should be there. And if you're trying to separate yourself from that, you are missing what the Lord has said. So in these times where it's ever becomes tempting, because sometimes people in the body get the wrong focus. Sometimes the body is not as healthy as it ought to be. And so when that happens, we should nurture and... And help those body parts that need nourishment and need mending and, and need maybe some balm or medicine to help them and bring them back to the proper health or mindset or whatever that is. We need to tend to the body and edify and build up the body, not just simply say, well, I don't need those body parts that, that are bothering me. And you imagine saying... I can't stand that foot. And so therefore, let's just cut that foot off. I don't need that foot. And if you, had to, if you had to amputate that foot, that is a last resort of a very serious problem. And it might, there might be a very drastic situation, but do you see how dire that situation would be before you ever have to do that? No, it, rather save the foot. Save that body part. Because it's connected. And it's not only connected to you, it's connected to the Lord. And for all of that, it, it all comes together. Do you realize that the church is where we are reconciled to God? 
Look at chapter 2 and verse 16. And he said, he said that, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. When he reconciled Jews and Gentiles, you ever wonder what was involved in that? Jews who were very different than Gentiles. Jews who were trained very differently than Gentiles. Their culture is different. Their speech is different. Their dress is different. Their way of worship was different. Now it's not. It shouldn't be when we come together and, and, and worship by God's plan. But could you imagine the difficulties, the way that some were thought of each other in the past and how that, that might be a little uh, difficult to try to learn how to get along with people who were raised differently and so starkly different. Yet Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition that divided the Jew and the Gentile, took it out of the way. And there I believe he's talking about the Old Testament the, the dividing line between the Jew and the Gentile was that, that law that, that taught the Jews how to live that was so different than everybody else. And so whenever you think about that, what is a middle wall of partition? For example, if you have this wall here, it's a partition with the next room. If there happen to be people in the next room, well, we're divided. You know, there's people in this room, there's people in another room, if there happen to be that. If you knock out that wall, now we're all in the same room. And that's, that, that wall that divided the Jew and the Gentile was like the, the old law. And Jesus took that out of the way. So there's no longer a division between Jew and Gentile. But people of the same inheritance, same hope, same, saved the same way, bought by the same blood of Christ, can work together. Now what they had to do is, though, they had to lay aside things they had been taught in the past for what was now taught in the New Covenant. And perhaps all your life you've been told a certain way of eating, a certain way of doing certain things, but now you see, okay, these are not the rules now. But I was raised this way. Well, you'd have to lay aside those kinds of things in order for the sake of unity of, of the Jew and the Gentile for them to work together. Now, in Acts 15, we read how that there was a, a difficulty that some of the Jews had because of how they thought of the Gentiles. And yet, what they had to realize is, let's just stick to what the apostles commanded. We never commanded circumcision, never gave no such commandment. So let's not bind that. That's not bound in the new covenant. And so it doesn't matter whether that was a thing in the past. Yes, that was something given to Abraham. Yes, that was something that was also restated in the old law. But under the new law, it, that's not a commandment now. And so if it's not a commandment now, let's leave it off. And let's not bind that. That's how two can be one and how they can come together and be connected. And be a part of the dwelling place of God. And that's how they're reconciled and joined together. Now suppose the Jews said, I want to be reconciled to God. But I don't have anything to do with those Gentiles. Or the Gentiles said, I want to be a part of God. But those Jews are pretty hard on me. No, 
that's that's something they're going to have to bear with and learn how to work together and grow together. In chapter 3, talks about them being fellow heirs and of the same body. Well, what if you thought, well, I, I deserve a greater inheritance because I was first. It doesn't work like that. And, and sometimes there are some who, who, who think of themselves as better than others or holier than thou, and we've got to be careful about that. That we all need salvation and we all need forgiveness and others need to be brought in. And we need to go and compel them to come in and we need to want them to come in because that's what the Lord wants. Now, when you think about the church being a household and a temple and all of those things, just thinking about the idea of family. Sometimes we have family reunions. I don't know what family reunions are like for you, but I would imagine you probably have some people that you're looking forward to seeing whenever you'd have that family reunion. I hadn't seen them in a while. can't wait to see them. But I would also imagine there's probably a, a person or two that you might start to have a little bit of tension. Uh-oh, they're going to be there. Uh, and uh-oh, you know, what, what are they going to... They're going to say these little annoying comments and they're going to, you know... And, and I, I, I'm going to have to deal with that person. And there's a little sense of dread there about those sorts of things. And yet, they're family. And so that's why you go, right? And you think about that in a, in, a, in a church family. Do you ever wonder why the Lord chose Simon the Zealot and, and Matthew the tax collector? One who's working for the government and one who wants to overthrow the government. And why, how he brought them together to work together. I wonder how that worked, all worked out. I think they probably had to lay aside those things because those things don't matter. And they had to come together and find the common bond. You think about the bond that we have. We don't all have the same hobbies. We don't all have the same tastes and likes, certain things, taste in music, taste in sports. Some love sports, some hate sports. That's not, but that's not why we have our commonality. Think of the people in this room that we have a bond with that we may not all have the same taste on all of those things. And what it is, though, is that we have a common bond but that we're bought by the blood of Christ. And speaking about that blood, when I think about that, where, is the, where did God put the blood within you? Does it not flow within your body? Is that not where your blood is? Why did God do it like that? But Jesus paid for us by his blood. And where do you think that blood flows through? With him. If it's not through the body. Now I know Jesus is the savior of the body. That's what he says in Ephesians. He's the savior of the body. Well... When I think about that, sometimes people will say the church is not what saves you. I agree. Jesus is, what sa is who saves you. But the church is the saved. So you can't separate the two. Let's make sure we understand that Jesus is the Savior. 
But the church is the saved. Did you, re, did you notice that in the scripture reading that was read? That when, when, he, when Peter preached Jesus, and then they, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the Lord added to the church those that were being saved. Do you see how that's all connected? And do you see how those people who were connected, were, they were together, they had all things common, they sold their goods. They didn't think of anything as being their own, but then they sold that and they gave to those who had need. You want to know why? Because they're connected. They're sharing. They're together. Somebody may say, well, I, I'm just going to serve the Lord at home. It don't work like that. I don't believe that I can follow God's will without being a part of his people. I don't believe that, that it works like that because Jesus himself taught that when you're going to bring your worship before him, that you need to make sure you're right with your brother. He taught that in the Sermon on the Mount, that when you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift to the altar, go be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What was he teaching? That my relationship with the Lord is affected by my relationship with my brethren. That if I'm in the wrong, I need to make that, make that right as best as within my power. Do you know the church is what shows the manifold wisdom of God in Ephesians 3 and verse 10? To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is showing the wisdom of God to the world when the world sees what the church is and what the, world, what the church does. But not only here in the physical realm, as Abe spoke recently about the spiritual realm, there are those in the spiritual realm that the church is actually showing the wisdom of God to even in that spiritual realm. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now I don't know who all is involved in that. Surely angels would be involved in that. The heavenly host. Whoever. Who, that we might meet there. That maybe we don't even know about. But I believe we have a fan section. As. As that story of the prodigal son was mentioned how that when one sinner repents and then there's rejoicing in heaven over that sinner who repents I, I believe that there are those in heavenly places who want us to do right who who are watching the church if the angels in the past had desired to look into the things that we now have given to us I believe that there are those in the spiritual realm who are watching us as a church and observing and either seeing that we are glorifying God or that those people might need a little help. They might need a little growth and a little correction. So when I think about that, I see that they care about us. They want us to do what is right. And I, and I, 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 I think that motivates me that whenever I'm a part of the church that that I am showing that God is wise by his plan. 
God was wise in, in creating and designing and, and making this glorious institution that we call the church. It is, it is a grand and, and thing that we get to be a part of. And it shows how great God is. In Ephesians 5, and I've mentioned this, that Jesus loved the church. But listen again to what it says. In Ephesians 5, 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife say that she reverence her husband. This pattern of a husband and a wife was given in a lot of ways to teach us of an even greater union that the Lord has, and that is between him and his body. We get to be a part of that. He loves us. He nourishes us. He loves us as himself. He loves us more. That he gave himself for us. Us who are a part of this. Do we, do we see and treasure how good and what a blessing that is? Do we see that the church is something very special that God is doing. So let me never pervert it. Let me never change the pattern of it. Let me never teach a different gospel. Than what the Lord has taught. Let us never change the work. And the function of it. Let us. If, if Jesus cared about what they did in his father's house. Let, let, let us make sure that in this house. That we make it holy. And that we have. And that we abide by and, and, and be in uh, subjection to the Lord's plan and never deviate from that plan or think that our plan is better. The church is important. If you are a part of it, are you thankful for that? Are you doing your part? And if you're not, make correction. If you're not a Christian... Come into the family. Be adopted by the Lord. And it's such a wonderful thing if you will confess that you believe that he's the Lord and you believe that with all your heart and you're ready to turn your life around and be baptized 
into Christ, you'll be washed from your sins and all everything that you've done that is wrong, you no longer have to live in guilt of that, that you can be totally forgiven and the Lord will welcome you in no matter who you are. Do that, be a part of that, be faithful to that while we all stand and as we sing.